It's Tuesday, August 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Ron Gross from Motley Fool Total Income and David Kretzman from Motley Fool Supernova. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Matt. Happy August. Happy August. Can you believe August is here already? Eight months in. It's such a cliche to say the summer's going quickly, but the summer's going quickly. And we're in the dog days now. Our right? interns left. Yeah. we're. Where does that expression yeah, come from, dog days of August? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll research it after <laughs> the show. Everybody just clicked off the okay. show. Okay. <laughs> it's screeching well, Don't all. click yet, because we're going to talk Texas Road house and we're going to talk shopify but let's begin with under armor woof ron <laughs> is that is that the technical term that is the technical the analytical term. term shares of under armor down big on tuesday ron a narrower than expected loss that sounds good right <laughs> well i don't know about good good in quotes <laughs> yeah good in quotes better than expected sales that's that's good right but the company cut its outlook for the full year and cut 2% of its workforce. Ron, what's going on with Under Armour? Yeah, I don't mean to be too harsh here because it's, it really is overall an amazing story and it's, and it's an amazing company. However, what I think we have here is really a busted growth story. 26 quarter streak of growing sales at 20% or more ended in the fourth quarter of 2016. And we've seen that ending followed through into subsequent quarters. Uh, revenue only up about nine percent. Um, guidance um, kind of is is in the nine to eleven percent range going forward. It's not the same company it used to be. It's struggling. Certainly, Nike is the ten thousand pound gorilla here um, at a ninety eight billion dollar market cap versus Under Armour's measly seven or eight billion. Um, I say measly, kind of tongue in cheek, but it is quite you know quite a bit smaller than Nike, and it is struggling. The restructuring plan does make sense. They've got to trim some costs. They've got to um, get out of some leases that, that are probably dragging down and, and their, their earnings. They'll have to pay $100 million, $110 million, um, as a result of this restructuring, partly from these lease terminations, partly from um, contract terminations and severance payments. But it will lean them out a bit, um, and maybe that Less that that narrower loss will turn the corner into profitability. Yeah, I think in general this is probably a good thing for Kevin Plank to go through. I think this will humble him a bit, if that's possible. <laughs> and the company really has to become more disciplined now. And I think he recognizes that they they brought on board a new chief operating officer in July, someone who used to be with VF Corps, North Face, Timberland, so someone who has experience managing global footwear and apparel brands. So so I think that'll help bring some discipline into the equation. Then he outlined a lot of different areas where they're trying to pivot now. So they're trying to focus more on direct-to-consumer rather than wholesale, trying to focus on women and kids more than just being a, a men's brand. Then they're also looking to transition from being primarily an apparel company in the U.S. to a global apparel and footwear accessories company. But that also means you're going head-to-head directly against Nike, whose bread and butter is really footwear. And Under Armour's experience in footwear still really leaves a lot to be desired. They have another Steph Curry shoe coming out, because oh. the first one really knocked the cover <laughs> off the wall. Oh, man. So, lucky, lucky for that. I mean, the, the amazing thing with, with footwear here is Under Armour's footwear revenue was down 2% this quarter to $237 million. In the same quarter, Nike's footwear segment was up 8% to $5.5 billion. So, Nike is just still dominating Under Armour. Under Armour doesn't have anything on Nike at this point. And really, Nike pulled a coup of sorts when Kevin Durant went to the Golden State Warriors, and now he's the face of the franchise. Steph Curry is not yeah. the, the face of the franchise anymore. So now that the Warriors won another title, 
uh, his shoes really aren't uh, picking up that, that much weight for Under Armour now. And David, when we were at CES a couple years ago, I remember there was a bunch of hubbub about this connected fitness idea at Under Armour. The idea that Under Armour, in a lot of ways, was almost becoming more of a technology company and they were harnessing all of this data. What's going on with Connected Fitness? I mean, that that network overall is still growing. I think they're close. To, they're they might even be above 200 million users on on those three apps that they acquired. But it's not leading to any direct sales or profitability, and that that's a big question mark. So when you spend over $700 million on three apps, you go into debt for the first time in your company's history. They now have a net debt of almost $800 million now, and they're still producing negative or inconsistent cash flow. That puts them in a pretty precarious financial position, especially now that they don't have that fast growth anymore. Uh, so, so, in general, the, the connective fitness strategy that they have is still a huge question mark when you have Nike that kind of backed away from that strategy and said, no, we're not going to be as hands-on with that. We're going to focus on our bread and butter. So I think I think Under Armour is right smack in the middle of an identity crisis. Um, if you would ask the average person, me being one of those average people, a couple of years ago, what were they? It would have been pretty easy to define them as a performance apparel, sports apparel maker. Now they're trying to be more things, and it doesn't mean they won't get there. But during the transition, the identity just isn't there, and it's hard to define what they are. Are they an athleisure company? Are they a performance company? Are they Nike? Are they not Nike? Um, so. Where this comes out, really, I don't know, two years plus, hard for me to predict, but for the, the next two years are going to be a struggle as they try to redefine themselves. And Ron, we were talking before the show, I, I was talking about how kids these days, and I, my boys, 9 and 11, and I go to the bus stop, and a lot of those kids are wearing either Under Armour or Under Armour type athleisure wear. Yeah. They don't wear jeans anymore, which Absolutely is amazing not. to me, yeah. which is like Crazy, heresy, right? right? <laughs> like, you know, what happened to jeans? But is that a good thing for Under Armour in the sense that it's becoming kind of this daily, you know, hey, you wear it to school, or is the idea that the brand has gotten diluted? It's it's kind of both. It's the, by being um, something that you can wear every day to school, and you know, not just a the wicking material because you're going out to play a sport. You've you've brought in the market, but the downside is now you're competing with everybody else who makes clothing to wear to school. Or, or to, to wear in your everyday life. And that's a huge market that you're, you're trying to break into and, and trying to steal share from. And it's, it's not easy. Well, let's move on to Shopify. David, shares of Shopify up big on Tuesday on earnings. Shopify builds cloud-based commerce platforms for small business. So, more of a behind-the-scenes player here. Yeah, behind-the-scenes. But over the past year, 131 million people have bought a product through a Shopify merchant. So, you're not going to notice the Shopify brand as a consumer, but you're likely going to interact with one of their merchants. You'll be on you know, a third-party retail website, and you'll buy something. And that whole back-end platform, that e-commerce platform, will be powered by Shopify. The company is growing incredibly quickly here, revenue up 75%. They're now serving over half a million merchants in 175 countries, so really just about everywhere around the world. They're growing really quickly. A stock price has more than doubled over the past year, and they're taking advantage of that by issuing more stock and raising more money. So they had a secondary offering in May that's coming off another secondary offering, I think, in August of last year. Uh, with this latest offering, they raised over half a billion dollars wow. in, uh, in in cash. So now on the balance sheet, they have close to a billion dollars in cash and no debt. So even though they are Unprofitable. They're still burning cash, although they are technically cash flow positive. They do have a pretty significant war chest now, and the stock is still 
close to, to all-time highs uh, after the report today. So, all in all, things going well. There are still question marks. I know Ron has them about when does this company become profitable. I don't mean profitable. to be a stick in the mud. I mean, profitability <laughs> I, I enjoy matter. profits. Profits do matter at some point. So, that that is still a question mark. Do they mark. talk about that? No, right now they're still really in in growth mode. So focusing yeah. on on the top line growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're still right now. They have, as I said, about five hundred thousand merchants. And when you think about the total worldwide opportunity for small businesses that could potentially use Shopify's platform, that market size is probably close to forty or fifty million small business or mid sized business owners who could use Shopify. So I think it makes sense for them to reinvest. Um, to to grow that top line, but I still have questions about Shopify because there are competitors who are are private, so we don't know as much about them and what their numbers look like. But you have Big Commerce, 3D Cart, which, as far as I can tell, they offer almost the identical solution that Shopify offers. Uh, a few weeks ago, Shopify announced a new partner partnership in quotes with eBay, where if you're uh, a Shopify merchant, you can now open up uh, an eBay store pretty seamlessly through Shopify and sell your goods on eBay. But big commerce has essentially the, the identical um, offering available. So it's not entirely clear to me uh, what sets Shopify apart longer term. Going forward, we'll want to see how successfully are they retaining customers on, on that platform. Because if, if you have a high churn rate, then bringing on a whole bunch of new merchants doesn't necessarily add a whole lot to the bottom line. You think this part, this segment of the industry could be ripe for consolidation if there's this, you know, more than one player out there doing similar type things all with different customer bases. Um, you see Shopify maybe being acquired or merging? Yeah, I think either of those could could make sense. Then even Etsy is doing something yeah. similar to to these guys. So, yeah, I, I think at some point you're going to see an either an acquisition here or some consolidation through a merger. And guys, shares of Texas Roadhouse bucking the trend up on Tuesday on better than expected earnings. Ron, I hear all about fast casuals dying and it's been tough for restaurants. Texas Roadhouse not getting the memo. What's going on? <laughs> no, they're doing a great job. Them and our favorite man behind the glass restaurant, Olive Garden, another good example of a company that is bucking the trend. Um, you know, quick services is relatively strong and fine dining is actually holding on. But as you say, casual dining really not doing well. But here you go, Texas Roadhouse, really nice um, numbers. They posted a 4%. Um, comp sales um, margins were down a bit, um, largely as a result of wage inflation. But they did benefit for some lower food costs, so that that helped to offset that that margin pressure a little bit. But earnings per share up 11 percent. They're opening up new restaurants, especially in the Bubba's 33 concept. I must admit, I have never been to a Bubba's 33. There aren't that many of them uh, yet, um, but they're certainly um, investing in them, and um, they. Continue to put up good good results. Um, they carried through um, the momentum from Q1, um, and you know I think there were some doubts about whether that momentum would continue. Um, but good for them. Yeah, what's interesting too is their, their comps were up four percent this quarter, and they mentioned that for the first four weeks of the third quarter, those comps were up even more at four point six percent. So they're maintaining that momentum with same store sales growth, which is really impressive when you have such a yeah, you know, such strong headwinds, especially in the the casual dining segment of of the overall restaurant space. And guys, at the recent Motley Fool member event, um, the CEO and founder of Texas Roadhouse, Kent Taylor, spoke. And at least speaking for me, he's just an incredibly charismatic, yeah. winning guy. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy that like you root for. 
and his definition of Texas Roadhouse was a redneck outback steakhouse. <laughs> nice. That's the secret sauce. That's the secret I, sauce. I must apparently. admit, I I, uh, I went to look at the menu before we we stepped into the studio here, and I was like, mm, that looks good. It, it looks great. And he talks about how you know the quality of the food and their steaks are cut in house. So really placing a premium on kind of homemade food. And the customer experience, um, later in that same interview, he said that they hire happy people. The idea that if you hire happy people, then obviously that's infectious. Your customers are going to be much happier. So really interesting, just all the different ways that he emphasized the consumer experience. And talking about the menu, what's especially impressive is when you go back five or ten years, the menu probably doesn't look all that different than, than it does today. So they don't have these one-off offerings, you know, half-off for a certain menu item. They don't have these specialty menu items in the stores for three months to try to drive traffic. So, they're very consistent with their offerings. They don't try to discount. Uh, and, and this quarter, they did bring a couple new menu items uh, on onto the menu, but it was really just smaller portion sizes for two, two entrees. So, in general, they keep they, they, they focus on the basics with the menu, they keep it very consistent, and they manage to keep customers coming back, which really is kind of a contrarian strategy compared to what a lot of other casual diners do. Yeah, and I think they get some of that menu diversification through the Bubba 33 segment, which is really a pizza, burger, beer kind of place. Mm-hmm. In fact, that might even be the slogan, don't quote me. Um, but but it, it's kind of it's a, a different different menu, which, which gives them that nice, broad diversification. So, as we wrap things up, I'm going to go with a totally arbitrary desert island question. Okay, You've got one <laughs> of these three stocks to pick in terms of beating the market over the next five years. Are you going with Under Armour, Shopify, or Texas Roadhouse? How dare you? Man, <laughs> that's tough. Um, I, can't go, I can't go restaurants. And, and why is that? It's a tough business. Okay. It's like to me, it's like specialty retail. Eventually, you hit a bump, okay. and it's just it's just a mess. Um, and a, an activist investor ends up coming after you for your real estate. <laughs> that's just that, that, that's how the, even, that's how it ends. Even if you're Texas um, Roadhouse, and as a value investor, Shopify uh, gives me the chills. Twenty uh, times it, trailing sales. <laughs> so I'm going to do the beaten down stock of Under Armour in the hopes that CEO Plank can get it together. Athleisure, I like it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Texas. Roadhouse. I think you have a consistent restaurant operator, founder and CEO, Ken Taylor, as we've talked about. I actually would be uh, kind of interested to, to watch him battle against an activist investor. That could be entertaining. But I think you know they, they have such a, a strong concept, consistent leadership that I think over the next five years, they beat the market. Okay. Well, we will keep an eye on it, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thanks Mac. Mac. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>